beautiful soul family and welcome to the walk on podcast the podcast where i try to demystify spirituality personal growth and healing and whatever else i feel like talking about i'm your host Britt cannon and this week's episode is well to be honest with you <laughs> i'm not sure what the title's gonna be yet because it is unplanned. Um, If you listened to last week's episode, you know that last week I found out that my grandpa, who is part of the family that I am in no contact with, passed away. And it really threw me for a loop. It threw my planning off. I kind of had to like take it slow and take a little bit of care of myself last week. And, um, And so I haven't been able to plan. (laughs) But I do have some things to talk about. Um, First housekeeping thing, I got an in-person job. I'm going back to the nanny game. Um, The remote work is not working out. Uh, I really, really wanted a job where I could stay at home and continue working like I've been working on just focusing on the podcast and my music and writing poetry and writing in general. And I've been having so much fun these last two years and creating such good content and work and art that I'm so proud of, but the money is thin and and the pandemic denial is real. And so I am having to do what so many people before me have had to do, which is suck it up and get a fucking job. (laughs) I did manage to get a couple remote jobs, but, uh, as far as copywriting and like, um, content creation and, you know, shit like that for other sites, it's either super dehumanizing because they won't post anything remotely political or it's just not enough hours or some combination of the two. And so I may have to, bring the episodes down to every other week instead of every week. We'll see how it goes. I'm going to try to keep up every week. Um, But if I have to switch to slightly less frequently, please stick with me. It's just because I'm capitalism's bitch the way that we all are. (laughs) And I have limited spoons, y'all. I am chronically ill and autistic and being in the world takes a toll on me. So if it does start happening, I'll let you know, you know, I'll keep you updated. Thank you so much for sticking around. Thank you so much for the new people who are showing out, popping up in my listen, sending me DMs on Instagram. It's really, really lovely to see a little growth and I appreciate it more than you will ever know. So yeah, let's fucking get into it, I guess. (laughs) So lately I have been posting a lot of reels and I figured out how to make a reels on Instagram and then a reels on Facebook and a funny thing is happening where I'm getting a lot of hate, (laughs) a lot more hate than a lot than positive feedback, to be honest with you. And after last, after two weeks ago, the episode where I was talking about pride and like what is the opposite of shame it's pride and pride is not a sin pride has many definitions and it was a reel I was really proud of and I love the reels as a resource because you can reach so many more people than just people on your feed and that's really helpful 
to getting my shit out there. And also if like the point of my platform of like the stuff I'm creating here and my blog and my YouTube channel is, and my Instagram is to like spread love and healing and positivity and light and self-love and self-acceptance and compassion and leftist ideology, (laughs) Um, then I want to reach as many people as possible. And so I, I just want to like help as many people as I can. And because that's how I have been helped. Like therapy was great, but people posting free self-help and spirituality content on the internet really saved my life. So I'm just trying to pay it the fuck forward. And I'm getting like at least one to three comments a week of people just being so hateful so mean and I'm not one of those people that's gonna like screenshot it and post it in my stories with like a rant and and sick my followers after people like that because I I just don't like we all know how like queer phobic people feel about us like we we've all heard it some of us have heard it from our very families you know like we don't I don't want to perpetuate that I don't want to put that out there just for clout or like just for people to be like yeah you're so badass for telling them off or whatever I just would rather delete and block and keep it moving so that's what I do but I do kind of want to address it here because I think that it's just necessary Um, I want to talk about my own journey to queerness and like figuring out my gender identity and what the queer community in all of its forms has meant to me over my time on this earth and, and really the damage that homophobes do and really just how fucking hateful they are. Um, I feel like every single day, I know I probably said this for the last like 15 episodes, but the, I got to stop doom scrolling, but it's hard because like you want to check in with your friends, the same website where like you're getting inspired or you're getting informed or you're getting radicalized is the same site that's like posting (laughs) the climate disaster events unfolding more rapidly every day and like people getting killed by police and it's just like all of the good news is mixed in with the bad news and it's hard to escape it and also I don't I don't want to escape it I just need a break sometimes but if you haven't noticed um a lot of fascist far-right um organizations like Patriot Front or the Proud Boys have been, and they're scary dudes. They're scary dudes with that Hitler youth haircut, um, who like, you know, they're, they're the 4chan assholes. They're like the LARPers with guns. They're incels, uh, incels bullies, you know, (laughs) they're, they are, um, dangerous, they're scary, they are for real, you know, um, they are taking the internet memeage and the, uh, 4chan jokes and, like, the chat room, <laughs> like a 90s kid, chat room bullshit, and putting it out into the real world and, like, putting, making it praxis, and, like, that is, um, just 
really upsetting and really scary. I haven't gone to Pride for the last several years because first I was afraid of COVID and then, <laughs> and now I'm just afraid of shootings, you know, like the shootings are happening every day. It's like these people go onto these forums and are basically like, Hey y'all, I'm going to shoot a place up and, and everyone just ignores it. Like it's not even a red flag because it's so hard to differentiate like who's joking about murdering people and who's serious about murdering people. And it's just like, how the fuck did we get here? Um, except the answer is we've always been here because this is America. Hashtag Donald Glover. <laughs> so, um, so recently I saw a few upsetting things, including, um, some, uh, Proud Boys stormed a drag story time. So if you don't know, drag story times are these great ideas where drag queen drag queens read kids to wait. <laughs> drag queens read books to children. And I think that's amazing. I think that if I had seen a drag queen when I was a kid, I would have been utterly mesmerized. I think introducing children to like the idea of gender as play is really um, a wonderful and freeing and like loving thing to do. But I also think that drag queens are such like, um, like mystical creatures, you know what I mean? Like, like extreme femininity, uh, or just like gender, um, gender nonconformists in the way that like anyone who doesn't conform to gender ends up being these like magical mystical beings. Like think of a David Bowie, think of a prince, think of, um, you know, I don't know anyone like that who just, transcends the binary in a way that is like innovative and artistic and inspiring and really makes you think, you know, <laughs> and, um, Tilda Swinton is another one. <laughs> There's so many, um, that have inspired me through my life that I'm, I might talk about as I get into this episode. Uh, but I think it's really fucking cool to introduce your children to drag queens. I think that, I mean, the, the idea that queer people are like dangerous to children and like that being queer or, or gender bending in any way makes you inherently like abusive towards kids is like, that's one of the oldest arguments against, queerness and equating it with pedophilia is, you know, it comes from that thing in the Bible that's like, um, you know, a sin is a sin and all sins are the same. And this is how in these religious cults, they get away with, this makes me think of like the Duggars. Do you remember them? The like weird religious family that had that reality TV show. And the dad is like really, uh, doughy and like pale <laughs> and they have that son, their oldest son, that's a pedophile. And he molested his sisters and I think a babysitter or something. And he's also in jail right now for child pornography, but he like not a good dude at all, but he got away with sexually abusing his siblings and their babysitter for so long because in their faith, first of all, if someone feels lustful to you as a woman, it's your fault because you tempted them in some way, which goes all the way back to the story of Eve. It's like, ugh, be original, you know, like, 
oh, get a new story. Um, but also they, the girls didn't necessarily understand like how bad, how traumatizing, how amoral, how upsetting, um, that was to them because to them all sin is the same. And that's why they didn't like prosecute him. They didn't take him to the police until he was about to be found out. Like, and this happens in a lot of these religious cults, cults like Scientology. Um, I don't know. There's like sexual abuse in all of them. I'm going to do an episode in a couple weeks called never trust a guru. That's, and I'm going to touch on that a little bit more, but that's why, because it's like all sin is the same, you know, and and to be queer is to be a pervert in the eyes of problematic Christians. And, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because I was talking, my partner um, was telling me about this person she follows on Instagram, Instagram, Instagram (laughs) called the Jew witch who writes about occultism and spirituality from the perspective of like, uh, um, like a Jewish mystic and she was talking about how there's no such thing as Judeo-Christian and how there's only Abrahamic religions which includes Islam and to say Judeo-Christian is actually inherently white supremacist because you're just leaving out that third religion and why you know (laughs) why would you leave that one out and also like that Christian Christianity and Judaism actually don't have much in common at all and so to lump them in with notions of patriarchy of white supremacy of um puritanical bullshit you know basically like when you mean Christian say fucking Christian (laughs) and and it made me think about how you see under these pride posts of people being like, when Christians do this, blah, 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 Christians are homophobic. And then you'll see someone in the comments always inevitably being like, they're not real Christians. It reminds me of the same thing as when, when someone makes a post complaining about like the emotional stuntedness of cis straight men or, you know, a man who's an abuser or a fuck boy or whatever. And then some dude in the comments inevitably is like, well, that's a little boy. That's not a real man. And it's like, no, that's what men do. That's the thing that men do. It's, it has nothing to do with maturity. It has everything to do with patriarchy. And like, that's the thing that needs unpacking. You not, you're not like a nice man who respects women is someone who has done the work to unpack patriarchy. You know what I mean? Um, and ditto with Christians, like the, the norm in Christianity is to be homophobic, extremely judgmental, misogynistic, um, capitalistic, like look at Christianity throughout the world, like murderous, you know, the crusades, like, (laughs) not the peace and love turn the other cheek religion they'd have you believe they are and that is christians christianity's identity alone so i i love the idea of like let's get judeo-christian out of our mouths because it's not a real thing and call a christian a christian (laughs) if you are a loving christian who like follows the teaching of christ i would say that you're more the exception than the rule and that is just like i said with cis straight men you are just someone who is doing the work and has done the work to unpack the bullshit from the belief 
And anyone of any faith can be problematic, can use it to feel superior, can use it to be hate-filled or hateful. And, um, and that's just the truth. And I think that Christians, especially like narcissistic Christians who really get off on the judgment and the superiority and the like moral high ground or whatever, like that, that's why they're drawn to that faith. And I talked about that in the pride episode where like they're reluctant to give up their position. Like if a church changes direction and isn't extreme anymore, they will straight up leave. You know, the pastor that they used to have just like unflinching loyalty to unquestioning loyalty to if they make a turn to be more progressive they'll get the fuck out of there and find someone extreme and that is because of their ego and the superiority and so to the gentleman (laughs) who commented and i quote you can change the words around all you want the reality is you need to find jesus unquote it's like oh how original darling how exquisite how creative your use of language um found him (laughs) know him talk to him all the time uh he thinks you're a fucking joke (laughs) and he does not queer queer he does not queer about my queer ass he loves me loves my gender expression loves my love loves we are in touch you know, we speak frequently and, um, and he thinks that you are a, mm, let me see if I can get this right, an asshole. <laughs> so what am I talking about? <laughs> okay. So I was a closet case. I was, um, not to quote R. Kelly, but trapped in the closet. I didn't realize I was queer. I used to like play house with my best friend when we were like 10 and we would like straight up make out. We were like always sneaking away to smooch. Um, we loved it and we had a lot of fun with it. And you know, it was always under the guise of like, I'm the husband, you're the wife or whatever. Cause like, that's what you see. So you play what you see. Um, that's why representation matters. <laughs> um, but I didn't, it didn't really go past that point. And I think that a lot of people experiment with their like, same gender friends when they're kids like I think it's pretty normal to experiment in that way because you tend to hang out with your same gender friends and also people get all up in arms like you know even though there's no sexuality like it's not it's just experimentation it's just play and like you're not necessarily attracted to each other yet people will be like oh a boy can't spend the night if you're a girl or a girl can't spend the night if you're a boy so you tend to like be in those situations with friends of the same gender and it's not until we get to like middle school maybe it's younger now but when I was in school middle school that we start getting like self-conscious about it or we start feeling like sexual feelings and we're like okay I have to knock this off now or whatever you know you you kind of grow out of it and it's not play anymore because you don't really play anymore 
and you, you know, you start, I mean, I think you feel the pressure of gender and the pressure of compulsory heterosexuality, like extremely young. I know this is a common argument against like homophobia and people being like, don't hold hands with your partner in public because you're, you know, forcing your lifestyle on my innocent kids. And it's like, but straight people do it constantly. Oh, he's such a little flirt. Oh, you're going to have to lock her up when she grows up. The boys are going to be after her. Or like a boy, a little boy and a little girl will be friends or even playing together. And they'll be like, looks like a love connection. And it's just like, ew, you're so gross. Don't fling your heterosexuality (laughs) at innocent children. Like they do it constantly. And I think I spoke about this in my last pride episode like that's what uh necessitates the ritual of coming out because everyone assumes you're straight like you're you're innocent until proven guilty and you are straight until proven otherwise and a lot of times you have to fight to have people accept that identity i have been queer since day 1 i remember like thinking women, you know, just like being really attracted to like women on screen, um, always being drawn to like tomboy type figures, always being drawn to like, you know, if there was a movie where a girl was playing a boy in the story or a boy was playing a girl, I was into it. It's like that, um, old school Peter Pan. Hang on. I got to look up this lady's name. Oh my gosh. Mary Martin in Peter Pan like big, big mood (laughs) for like six-year-old me. I was like, oh, I don't know what this is, but I love it. Same thing with just one of the guys. I don't know the actress's name. It's an 80s movie where uh, a girl is like a reporter or something. The story is beside the point, (laughs) but she has to dress up like a a guy to like get the dude experience yes 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 for for kid me it's so into it or the ladybugs which is a movie about jonathan brandis who has to dress up like a girl to play on the ladies soccer team because he gets kicked off of his boy team and again just like enthralled like utterly like <laughs> like these are the best looking people i've ever seen i just loved it and Besides all that, like just, I would crush so hard on girls um, in elementary school. And I like, I liked boys, but uh, it was slightly different. And I didn't know where to put it because the narrative of heterosexuality had been so, the program of heterosexuality had been so drilled into my head that that was louder than my own voice, than my own identity. And, you know, I was just watching a Scientology in the aftermath and they had a cult specialist on there. I'm doing research for the guru episode. And, um, and he was talking about how part of the systematic breakdown of an individual that a cult like operates or the tactics they use, like there is a, a undoing of the original identity of the person and a replacing that identity with the identity that is brainwashed by the cult. And I think that, (laughs) 
I think that in a system that is so pervasively programmed with the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy, like we are brainwashed by all of them. We are brainwashed by white supremacy. This is why it takes years and years and years to unindoctrinate yourself from that program. Like this is why you might look at yourself, even white people, you might look at yourself and say, I'm not beautiful. I'm not beautiful because I'm supposed to look like Barbie or Twiggy or Marilyn Monroe or, you know, these days it's evolved slightly and it's like, or Kim Kardashian, like here is the standard and here are the ways that I do not fit in that. If you haven't listened to my radical self-acceptance episode, my your body, your home episode, my self-love episode. Like there's a whole bunch of episodes where I talk about how the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy puts this like filter of perfection over top of you. So it's like between your eyes and the mirror. And, um, and so when you look at yourself, you see the ways in which you fall short of this hologram of perfection that is just a program and if you do the work to deprogram that filter disappears and disappears and disappears until you just see yourself in the totality of your beauty in the perfection in the perfectly imperfect um individual uniqueness that you are and that's where self-love happens or at the very least radical self-acceptance And I talk about how this is a process, like it's not a thing that you learn once and then you (laughs) never have to tend to it again. It's a constant battle because we're always growing, we're always changing, we're always gaining weight and losing weight and and getting older and getting wrinkles and, and, you know, um, there's always, there's always some little bitch out there ready to tell you how old and ugly you are, so... (laughs) So it's a process. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, you white supremacy is sort of a cult, like we're brainwashed into it. We perpetuate and project the, the um, expectations and standards of white supremacy onto each other, even though they don't fit. Uh, capitalism, I mean, need I say more, we are so indoctrinated into capitalism that we have cognitive dissonance happen if anyone is living any other way. We literally cannot imagine living any other way. It's everyone's unhappy in the system who isn't fully fucking loaded like Scrooge McDuck. And the rest of the people are either like fighting for it and buying into it because they believe if they hustle hard enough, they can get there one day and then they can oppress people or they just are like, well, it sucks, but this is the way, this is how it is. This is how the world works. There's no other choice. And it's like, yeah, literally there is. <laughs> you just have to think a little harder and be a little more creative and also make different choices. Uh, we can undo this. It's just a program. We're just brainwashed into it, but you can unbrainwash. Uh, it's hard work and the world will gaslight you and turn against you and make fun of you, but it is possible. I have done it. And then we get to cis-heteropatriarchy. So that's like, this is what a man is. A man is someone who is strong, who earns money for their family, who is muscular and tall and not balding, who has a, who can grow facial hair, who, 
um, doesn't struggle with things, who can go to war and not get PTSD. You know, like it's someone, it's a strong, silent type. It's a fucking, (laughs) um, it's a Ron Swanson, except probably taller. You know, like there is one right way to be a man with a big dick and (laughs) like virile semen. It's like, ugh. A gross. Um, no offense to any men listening. <laughs> it's just like, what? There's only one way to be a man, and that's the way in which the cis heteropatriarchy hurts men. And men will be, you know, unawakened men, men who haven't done this unpacking, will blame women for patriarchy. And it's like, motherfucker, you invented it like this is your issue you are doing it to yourself if you just unpack it you won't suffer from it anymore like if you can learn to love yourself you can learn to be a like a good emotionally intelligent warm open thoughtful person in the world you would probably just have to look at considering giving up some of your patriarchal power and obviously as always Oppression happens in overlapping Venn diagrams. So you can be oppressed in one way and have privilege in another way. And um, and that's why unpacking the full white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy and not just one of these things is so necessary and important. Like intersectionality is a spectrum. And, and I think understanding the ways that we have privilege in this world and the ways that we are oppressed in the world is the key to changing it. And we know how patriarchy hurts women. I mean, look at these like trad wives, you know, these, these like far right fascist, um, blonde wifeys of proud boys or whatever. (laughs) They're like, I love staying home and baking muffins and taking care of the children and making sure my hair is perfect and wearing pinup dresses. And it's like, yeah, okay, if you choose that, if that's your choice, like more power to you. We need mothers in this world. We need stay-at-home moms in this world. Um, It's beautiful if you have the resources that you don't have to work and you can take care of your kids. I think uh, the world at large would be a lot more securely attached if people weren't raised in daycares and, and, you know, but also this goes back to that thing I was talking about in one of my most recent episodes where like, why can't we live in communities? Like this nuclear family bullshit sets us up for failure, especially when we're in late capitalism and both parents have to work. But it's just like the way that they choose it, where it's like, I like deferring to my husband on all decisions. You know, I like not being able, I love being (laughs) basically a captive, uh, a captive to my husband. You know, I love not having control of the money. I love that he tells me what to do. I love having dinner on the table for him and like looking beautiful for him and, uh, and being seen, not heard. You know, it's like, No, you don't. Like, you're just a pick-me. You're just like, you are, you feel safer because of your proximity to white men, you know? And I don't, this is why I don't love the, like, the feminist, I think it's like third or fourth wave feminist, don't quote me, (laughs) take of like, 
you know, just forget all the rules and like forget all the liberation and just like do what feels good. Cause it's like, yeah, I mean, obviously the whole point of feminism is choice, but also everyone has unpacking to do, you know? And I think giving up your entire identity for a relationship or giving up your entire identity to be a parent and that's it is what leads to such big depression and like identity crises when, you have an empty nest because like you've given fully of yourself to the point of self-harm almost like to the point of losing who you are. And then you, you get to this point where you feel underappreciated and you feel resentful and you may resort to passive aggressive tactics or like feel entitled to not let your kids individuate. Like it just leads to more problems. Everyone should have autonomy. Everyone should have choice. Everyone should feel comfortable leaving their children at home with their other parents. You know, you shouldn't be the soul solely responsible for all of the emotional labor of your family. It's just not fair. And like, if you choose that life, like more power to you. I think it's amazing. It's a hard fucking job. I'm someone who's been a nanny for like 15 years at this point and taking care of kids is draining. It's really (laughs) difficult. Um, and I get to leave them at the end of the day and that's a blessing. (laughs) That's why I don't want children of my own, but, uh, you know, I still think that even if you choose it, it's important to like continue evolving and it's important to give yourself room to change your mind or at least be in a relationship where you're an equal, at at least be in a relationship where the person you're with respects you, respects your autonomy, respects your sacrifice, respects your time, sees what you do as work and doesn't treat you as if you're just like another child or another dependent or whatever. Um, feminism is for everyone (laughs) and the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy hurts everyone regardless of your proximity to like a cis straight white man or regardless if you are one like unpacking these programs will do nothing but liberate you like it won't cause you any harm you may lose you may have to relinquish some of your systemic power because if you don't relinquish your systemic power in the sense that you like try to, it's like, I just read this thing that James Patterson said, release this asinine quote where he was like, you know, white men are being marginalized in the literary community. It's so hard for us to get a job now. And it's like, first of all, (laughs) no, (laughs) absolutely not. James Patterson. Um, you are so loaded, like shut the fuck up. You could never work again and be fine. Uh, also like things becoming more equal is not the same thing as oppression. You only think it's the same thing because you're so used to skating by on mediocrity and, and having the red carpet rolled out for you and that it's okay for that to end. Like it should end that we have been living in an unjust world and for you to fight justice shows exactly who you are. You should want liberation for everyone. You should want everyone to have the same chances and opportunities. And the only reason you might be afraid of that is because you're not that good. And we all know, James Patterson, you're not that fucking good. Really quickly, I've been ranting and raving and I still don't know what this episode <laughs> episode is going to be called. Thank you for sticking with me. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a second. Bye. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. 
A walk-on production. Flight of the Final Girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run. Don't walk. It's Flight of the Final Girl. Anywhere books are sold. Before I went on my lengthy and multifaceted rant, I was talking about how I was so closeted because, you know, I was in a little bit of a of the cult of Queenie. Queenie is my grandma. Uh, she is a very powerful witch. She is a strong motherfucking woman. She don't take no shit. She is a badass and I respect her. I respect her temper. I respect her, her survival. I respect her feminism. I respect her humor. I respect her. She just like taught me a lot and greatly influenced me, but, uh, she operated and, and narcissists kind of do carry these like cult like, um, they create little cults of like flying monkeys, people who do their bidding, people who have like unchecked loyalty, people who can't speak against them. They run smear campaigns. You know, they operate very much in the same way of a cult. And I think that's because a cult is nothing more really than a trauma bond. You know, it's just abuse on a larger scale. And as I was saying about the white supremacist, capitalist, heteropatriarchy and like the cult of that, like, look, look what happens if you step outside of capitalism. Look what happens if you push back against white supremacy. Look what happens if you if you step outside of the cis heteropatriarchy, like you are punished. Um, you it's like way back in the day, Anita Sarkeesian making those like, hey, have you guys noticed there's some like sexist tropes in video games and death? threats, you know, doxing, just like (laughs) you get punished if you break out and speak out against the cult of the white supremacist capitalist cis heteropatriarchy. And it was the same way with my family, um, which was just a tiny cult, a micro cult, if you will. And my grandma was the ringleader. She is a pro. She's a genius. She's absolutely brilliant. Her her chokehold on social politics and like manipulating a social environment is unmatched. She, she, if, if I didn't have to cut myself off from her, I would like, she's fabulous. If it was a movie, you would love her. Like Joan Crawford, mommy dearest, like you would love her. Um, she's charming. She's sweet. She's funny. She curses like a sailor. Like what's not to love. But her expectations are overbearing. She's oh, she's someone who gave up her personhood to be a parent and then expected the world in return, even though children don't ask to be born and kids need someone to take care of them. And like, it's not their fault if you lost your identity along the way. Like you should hold that boundary as the adult in the room. So a lot of pressure was put on me specifically, I think because I've just always been a really sensitive kid and like I really sought safety in her and, um, and also we're a Libra and a Sagittarius, like we get along (laughs) swimmingly. And so we would like have these long conversations and, 
And I just knew very, very early on that even though she had a gay brother and that I had a gay uncle Steve, um, that it was that it was okay for men to be gay. This was like very much her mentality. It was okay for men to be gay because they're like fabulous and they know how to dress and they love their mothers and they like to go shopping and they like the theater and like all that. But it was not okay for women to be gay. And I know this was because my grandma struggled with her own sexuality and like couldn't ever uh, speak on it. Or and that's because you know, it was a lot scarier in the fucking 50s and 60s to be out. Although, as I always say with closeted people, like people were, you know, people were living an out gay lifestyle back then, or at least as out as they could be to like friends and um, close family or whatever. Lots of people lived with their, their quote unquote best friend, you know what I mean? And and had long-term relationships. And I'll get more into that in a second. But, you know, that's the thing with bisexuality is like the the ability to to step into the straight world, even though your identity doesn't change based on your partner, like you can it's like the idea of like passing, you know, like you can go stealth and no one would ever know you're queer and you don't have to worry about landlords running to you. You don't have to worry about getting um hate crimed or uh although I guess bisexual women do often suffer at the hands of their abusive partners because of their bisexuality so there is that but um you know you can I've I've done it you know I've gone through the world with a with a with many cis male partners and I never had to think twice about kissing them in public or you know posting a picture of us on the internet or you know you it's just a it's safer when you're assumed to be straight, just like it's safer when you're assumed to be cis. And erasure isn't the same thing as oppression. And I think my grandma sort of was queer, but benefited from the ability to to stay in the closet and not act on her feelings because she was attracted to men. She was fulfilled by relationships with men. And I think if I had continued on the path I was on, I would have done that too. I would have married the person I was with. We would have had kids and that would have been that, you know, and I would have just always longed and wondered what it would have been like to be with someone who wasn't a cis straight man. And that question never would have been answered. I never would have felt that. And I may have grown resentful and I may have, you know, there's, there's this thing when you sacrifice for the cult or the program of the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy, uh, where you, and this is like the same thing in religion. It's like, I gave up my happiness. I gave up my joy. I gave up my identity. And now you have to, too. It's, I know I harp on it, but like, it's the same thing as the people being like, I paid my student loans, so no one's loans should be forgiven. Everyone should have to suffer. Even if the ability to pay off your loans is privilege in and of itself. And I think that's just like an egoic trap. Like it is misery loves company. You know what I mean? But her pressure, you know, just, oh, you're so feminine, even though I wasn't. I mean, I'm like, I am feminine, but I was also a huge tomboy. And from the time I was little, it was like, oh, don't you want to be pretty? Don't you want to wear dresses? Don't you want to wear makeup? Don't you want to look like your cousin or your sister or your best friend? Like, why don't you want to be pretty? Why do you insist on being so ugly? Or like sometimes outright, like, why do you want to look like a dyke? And 
And it's that program lives within me to this day. I'm still unpacking it. I'm still figuring it out. I'm still wading through the waters of my own gender identity and seeing the ways that it links up with my sexuality. And it's really tough. And it's it really felt like her love was conditioned or like conditional on my femininity, on my straightness, on my, on the hope of me one day producing grandkids on, or great grandkids for her, um, on my ability to conform. So (laughs) I, and you know, I went to high school in Virginia, in Norfolk, Virginia, and like very few people were out. There were lots of people who everyone suspected to be gay in my middle school too. You know, there was like rumors about this one, rumors about that one. And like, you knew to avert your gaze in the locker room. Like you knew to, you knew to play the game. You knew to like not let anyone know, even though I had so many crushes on girls and women, I just like, didn't, I mean, first of all, you're terrified to act on it because you're like, this is, reminds me of Robin from Stranger Things. Like, if you tell someone, like, you know, a straight person just gets to go, like, hello, other straight person, I have a crush on you. And there's, like, the fear of rejection and stuff and, like, maybe being a little embarrassed. But if you out yourself to someone you have a crush on, the the consequences, if they are not cool, if they're not into it as well, and if they are happen to be homophobic, like, the consequences can be extreme. It could be rumors and ostracization. It can be violence. It can be retaliation for the like the homophobic uh, violence that gets triggered, you know, in the person like this violent, this reaction to like the association with queerness, like people don't even want to be near queer people, especially back in the day. And, you know, this is how it was in, in the locker room. Like if you're friends with the known lesbian then you must be a lesbian too and it's just like so cutthroat and awful and everyone is operating they are running the white supremacist capitalist heteropatriarchy program the hardest it's ever been run in life except for at like maybe fox news offices where it will probably never be unpacked (laughs) but as I started growing, and this is why representation is not everything, but it is so important. I started connecting with other people who were like questioning their sexuality and their gender. And we went on this beautiful journey together. I started watching more and reading more about like late in life lesbians and why, why you might not understand you're queer until later because of compulsory heterosexuality. I understood that in bisexual people, attraction to men might feel different than attraction to women. And oftentimes that's why people don't know they're bisexual because it doesn't feel the same. And so you don't automatically recognize it as, as attraction. Um, stuff I already talked about, like the reactions of others, the, the homophobia of others, like you're just up against a lot and like you may lose a lot on your journey to coming out and it's parallel. This is how I know that God loves me and that I am guided and, and nurtured and protected every step of the way because my healing, there's so many parallel streams of my healing that eventually ran to the same river or or ocean that became the totality of me. But like, as I'm healing my eating disorder, I'm also discovering my gender identity. I'm also discovering my queerness. I'm also 
finding liberation in politics, I'm also finding spirituality. So all of these things are happening simultaneously because one begets the other and one informs the other. This is why I feel like if you are a leftist, but you're still fat phobic, or if you're um, a spiritual person, but you're still a capitalist, like you haven't done all the work. These are red flags to me because if you let it, the whole thing will transform you on every conceivable level. And to not transform, I feel like means you are trying not to. You're There's something you're uh, some superiority, some privilege, some something that you're stuck on that you don't want to let go of. Your ego is keeping you from undergoing the full transformation because like, how could you, I mean, none of us are free while anyone else is enslaved. Like, how could you want that? How could you live with yourself? How could you pretend to be free if no one else is? And if you, you are actively through running the program in your brain, enslaving others even if it's just in how you move through the world even if you have virtually no power even if it's just in your perceptions and your preconceptions then you you haven't done the work as you can probably tell (laughs) this episode didn't go where I thought it was going to go but uh, you know, I've been rewatching for Pride Month. <laughs> I've been showing my partner Drag Race, which I watched from season three to I think season seven. And then I stopped because that's when everyone was like, RuPaul's transphobic and the set on RuPaul's Drag Race is really abusive. And, you know, that's when all the, uh, exposés and stuff were coming out. And so I stopped and but I've been re-watching it I just watched we are on we are on the Adore Delano Bianca Del Rio um Cotney Act <laughs> season right now so I've watched three four five and I think this is six and I remember watching them 10 years ago like literally 10 years ago and and being just like so inspired. I love, I mean, I've always been friends with like gay men. Like I've always been, just had a gaggle of gay men (laughs) around me. I mean, I went to school to be an opera singer for fuck's sake, like one straight guy in the whole school. Um, (laughs) maybe two, but Um, I was always drawn to like queer spaces and obviously I was queer, but I just couldn't come out myself. Even though I made out with so many women in college, I just like couldn't fully get there because I was still a closet case. Um, and also I couldn't find anyone who would go there with me. I think it, I think in middle school, if a girl had been into me the way that I was into her, I would have a hundred percent consequences be damned gone and done it, you know, but I couldn't find anyone who who wanted to go there with me. And so I just didn't, and I didn't acknowledge it. I didn't think about it any deeper. I had a real like wall up about it. And I understand how people can compartmentalize because I definitely did, but I was, I always preferred to go to gay bars. I always preferred to be with queer people. And, and when I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race, you know, I had been out of college for a couple of years and I was really longing for that. I hung out with a lot of straight people and, and also just like the gender aspect of it blew my mind. Like how some of them look, you know, 
a bit butch out of drag and like and these beautiful goddesses these amazons in drag and just like and all of the shades of gender expression how they could play with gender how it could be so free how it could be so fun and creative and artistic and like stunning and and that's when I finally started to understand my own gender was through exploring drag. And I know a lot of AFAB uh, non-binaries who are femme presenting feel similarly about drag and drag queens because uh, I've talked to them and I'm friends with them. And I know this sentiment is actually pretty common. And I was like, oh, that's why I don't feel comfortable in my femininity because I was, I was doing femininity from a place of like obligation and from fitting in and from like a real discomfort about it. And I just didn't understand my place in it or truly how to pull it off. And, you know, it just didn't ever feel good or comfortable. And then through drag, I embraced it totally. And I was like, oh, I love this. This feels so good to me. If I think of it as a performance, if I think of it as like a costume I'm putting on, then I can snap it, like snap into it so easily. I can just like have so much fun with it and really enjoy it. And, and it's okay to embrace my masculinity at the same time. Like I can be butch. I can have, you know, I can have moments where I do either or, or both together. I can create gender for myself. I can be gender fuck in every aspect of my life. And like, no one's allowed to tell me I can't. No one's really allowed to have an opinion on it. Um, and it's fabulous. Like it's fabulous period. And I think back to those times when I was like watching Mary Martin or just one of the guys or even just like a really butch tomboy in a movie and I was drawn, you know, just like magnetized to that and like felt this feeling of like, that's what I want to be. That's who I am. That's who I feel like I am. And also that's who I feel like I want to be with. And the amount of times I was like hopelessly in love with a butch person in my, like a butch woman woman especially in my life and I didn't know what to do with it you know like I didn't know where to put it I would flirt I would get accused of flirting I would get embarrassed and I was definitely like that straight bitch uh so annoying but <laughs> it is what it is I have learned I have grown <laughs> um it wasn't just for attention like I just truly had crushes like big crushes I just couldn't admit that's what it was and um and to embrace all of that to feel like it's okay to feel like it's a celebration to understand the beauty and the power of queer chosen families really blew my mind right open and it just fast-tracked my coming out it fast-tracked me understanding my gender identity and you know here I am 10 years later like living with my partner, like being out and queer, living in a conservative neighborhood, like giving no fucks, <laughs> uh, and just living my truth every step of the way. And I really appreciate that show and specifically those drag queens, you know, drag queens like Raja or Delta or like, um, Carmen, I'm just like stuck on season three right now. <laughs> Alaska, uh yeah I don't know like um Latrice just like 
amazed, amazed, amazed. Yara Sophia, like just the um, the sheer like spectrum of gender presentation. Milan, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Uh, Alyssa Edwards like just the it's so amazing it's so beautiful it's so inspiring and it really helped me be me and that reminds me of like other people who perform femininity like Dolly Parton or Cher you know where it's like not exactly traditional (laughs) it's extreme it's wigs and tits and plastic surgery and like Bob Mackie costumes and showgirl accoutrement you know like love it, love it, here for it, want to embody it myself for the rest of my life. And I so appreciate that representation because wow, did it help me out. And, and I'm here now because of it. And I got through some of the hardest moments of my life in, in really committing to and, and sort of defending who I am, you know, in those moments when I was getting gaslit by the cult of my family, you used to be so feminine, you know, you used to be so modest, you used to be so straight, you know, like you've never been into girls, like you've never been queer. And it's just like, how do you know? Like, how would you know? You weren't in my head. Right now, all you're talking about is your expectations of me and your expectations of me were never correct. They have always been set a little too high and I've been striving for them and striving for them and I've been so wrapped up in your approval that I couldn't be myself. But now I'm being myself and I'm asking you to love me and you can't. And what does that mean? And that's how we got to this podcast. You know, that's how we got to walking away. And... And I don't know, I guess like (laughs) to sum it all up, like I just want to thank every queer person I've ever encountered. I want to talk real quick. I think I talked about this in my queer as in fuck you episode last June. So go check that out if you haven't. But when I was in high school, I went, my high school boyfriend had a grandma who was a late in life lesbian and an aunt who was a late in life lesbian. And I met both of them and one of their partners, the other partner, the aunt's partner had passed before I came along. And I remember going to the aunt's house Her name was Annie. I went to her house for a party and she had like a hammered dulcimer and she was a visual artist and she had this like studio in the back of her house with all of these huge canvases that she painted. She worked with like natural objects. It was all these weird hippie artists in the room. Everyone was just like jamming out playing music and like eating vegan food. And and I remember being stunned, like just speechless, rendered utterly speechless at the happiness that surrounded this woman, how much everyone talked about how devotedly she loved her partner, how she took care of her every minute in the last days of her life, how she was like so there for her, so loving, so supportive, how great their love was, how powerful it was, how devastated she was and changed she was at losing her. Um, how his aunt was married with kids before she came out and like lived this entire other life before she lived this one. And, um, and I was just like deeply touched and transformed. And I thank you to Annie. Thank you to his 
Grandma Caroline. Thank you to every queer person who has shown me love and support. And Lord, thank you. Bless your little heart, patience. Um, Thank you to the queens who've gone on Drag Race. Thank you to uh, Mother Fracker RuPaul herself. Like, keep doing you. I know it's hard. I know it's scary. I know you get a lot of hate. I know there are people out there who literally want us dead. But every day you leave the house and be fully you, I promise you, you are saving someone's life. Like you are doing the Lord's work. (laughs) It is beautiful. It's so beautiful to be queer. I think it is uh, an embodiment of God's love to be who you are entirely. Uh, the, the forgiveness, the compassion, the love, the, the patience, the authenticity that the queer community is able to hold space for is truly inspiring. And I'm, I couldn't be prouder to be part of this community. I couldn't feel more loved, more whole, more accepted, more belonging, like, wow, 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 has my life changed? And it's all due to queer people. The Walk On Podcast is a production of Walk On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit-Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find Mantra, the EP that Walk On, the theme song to this podcast, is part of. And you can find Flight of the Final Girl, which is my debut poetry collection. There's also merch, t-shirts, stickers, mugs, lots of other stuff with the swears on them. (laughs) There are photos, videos, and links to all of the services I offer, including tarot readings, astrology readings, mentorship services, if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology. And you can also access my self-love course, which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself. There are journal prompts, guided meditations, self-care rituals, letter writing assignments, and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.